not be once named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness nor foolishness, foolishness nor talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this we know that no man, for this we know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an adulterer, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light of the Lord, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. <clears throat> For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. <clears throat> For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doeth maketh light, make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And he that hath, he that not, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another with the fear, in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it unto himself a glorious church not having spot, nor wrinkle, or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth, nourisheth and cherisheth it, and even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Very good scripture, very good lesson for all of us. I think back many times about what, what it means to love your wife. 
I had a loving wife for seven years. Seven years seemed like a long time, but it wasn't long enough. But I, I have good memories of her, and I think that's good advice for all of you brethren, young men, to love your wife. Never forget. Always forgive. Always love. That's so important. There's many, many good things in this scripture we can talk about, but I won't go to them all, but uh, one of them says, giving thanks always in all things unto God. That's very important also. We have to be thankful for everything, and we have many things to be thankful for. We have, we have a beautiful day out here, beautiful Lord's Day to be thankful for. We have had beautiful weather. We have wonderful scenery. The trees are beautiful. The flowers are beautiful. The grass is green. The crops look well. It's, it's been a blessing to us. We have a lot to be thankful for. Let's bow in prayer. Good morning. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, whosoever he saith, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew what whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed upon him. It's no wonder that God created marriage in the beginning. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 as an extension of creation, God had created man, and then he created woman out of the side of Adam, and he brought the two together. He created, he implemented, and ordained marriage in the beginning. 
It's also no wonder to me that Jesus' first miracle took place at a wedding. As a part of God's work of creation, and it continued on into the New Testament, continues on into our lives today, this miracle is about Jesus taking ordinary water and miraculously making it wonderful wedding wine. I realize that this actual miracle is not about marriage itself. It is about taking water and making it wine. But it did take place at a wedding setting. And I've titled the message today, The Miracle of Marriage. Let's draw a few lessons from this miracle and then we'll go to Ephesians 5 for the main lesson today. Why did Jesus perform miracles? Primarily for three important reasons. To meet a human need, to convey a deeper spiritual truth, and to prove that he was the Son of God and give him all glory. Almost every miracle that he performed, you would find these three reasons. I find this miracle no different. God can take water, ordinary water, and he can, by his touch, make the best wine. Not just wine, but the best wine. I personally still believe in miracles today. I believe that God can, even in the, the marriage setting, can take the ordinary, mundane, mundane things of our ordinary life, he can touch it with his power, and he can miraculously make it wonderful wedding wine. I still believe in miracles today. Man cannot take a rib and make his wife. Man cannot unite male and female into one flesh. Man cannot create marriage in spite of all of our efforts. Man cannot bring two together as one. Man of ourselves cannot bring male and female from two different, entirely two different families, possibly two different cultures or races, different interests, different passions, different personalities. Man cannot bring them together into one flesh. But God, when he touches it, when he brings you two together, those of you that are married, he can miraculously somehow bring that together in one, as one flesh, as one unity, one unit. I can't explain it this morning. That's why I label marriage as a miracle. We cannot do it of ourselves, but when God touches it, it, he can take the ordinary, mundane things of life and he can miraculously make them 
beautiful wedding wine. God can. Man cannot. But God can. I believe in the sovereignty of God. And he will bring it together. And he will work it out every day, every day, every day for a lifetime. By his power and by his strength, he will build it. He will build this thing called marriage. Through his grace, by his mercy, year after year, he will make your marriage glow with his glory. And that's nothing but a miracle of God. God's miracle is not just about bringing you two together initially at the altar. That of itself is a miracle. But God's miracle, I believe, takes place day after day after day after day, keeping us together for a lifetime. Why does he do this? I've said in, in past and recent messages as we consider the Christian home, I believe that all of this is for a purpose and it's, it's no different than any of his other miracles to meet a human need and to take the extra, the, the uh, ordinary mundane things and make them extraordinary. When our marriages are centered around his word and directed by his spirit as we yield to him, he can perform a miracle in your marriage. I might speak first to those of you that are not married. Um, this message is for you just the same. You'll find this message is intertwined with the gospel message. I believe personally, and the, the scripture that was read bears it out, that the lesson on marriage and possibly the whole reason God ordained marriage or one of them is that our message would be, our marriage would be a living testimony of the gospel itself. What Christ did for the church, our marriages portray that, they picture that as we live out the gospel through our marriages. And so those of you that are not married, possibly you can glean a gospel message through this or instructions for your future. May God bless us together as we turn to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> I think every minister that presents a subject has to first start out with a definition. Here's a definition that I found that it's long, but I like it. Marriage is one man and one woman united spiritually, emotionally, physically, publicly, and legally in a lifetime bond of loyal love. God designed marriage to be a partnership between one man and one woman, to be a permanent union, to produce spiritual unity between husband and wife, to provide for the procreation of children, to positively channel sexual and emotional energy, to serve as a principal building block of society, to be a picture of his relationship with Israel and of Christ's relationship with the church.
Again, I want to emphasize as preface into this message, I believe the Christian home is where we live out the gospel in a practical way. And yes, we can spiritualize it, but oftentimes we talked in Sunday school uh, some about uh, lessons of just our dads, and my memory of my dad is just not so much preaching to me the gospel, but just living it out in daily life. And it's the same way with our marriages. Our marriages is intended just to live out in a practical way to be an example, a picture, or maybe a uh, living color life video of what God did through Christ Jesus for his people as he loved them, sacrificed, and so forth. And this Ephesians 5 bears that out. It is clearly speaking about the relationship between Christ and his church. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, the gospel. But just as clearly, this entire passage is testifying of how the gospel was lived out in a practical way in everyday married life. For this cause shall a man, verse 31, leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. And that speaks of the miracle of marriage. About a week ago or so, Lisa and I invited a few couples to our home and we spent the evening around the table or part of it. Then we went outside, sat around the fire and I asked uh, kind of an impromptu question to these couples. Just a simple question, what are some key things that contribute to a lasting marriage? I think one of the couples was married five years, one of them 14 years, and one of them 24 years, and Lisa and I has been married 38 years. So you can see there was some different perspective brought into this question and some different experience. But every one of them contributed in, in some way. Um, the husbands and wives all mentioned some key elements to a lasting marriage, and that's what I want to share with you today. I promised them that I would keep their names out of this. <clears throat> the first one that was mentioned, and each one of them, each one of these keys obviously could be a, a sermon in itself. The first one that was mentioned was trust. And we talked a little bit uh, as couples about the importance of not having secrets, being honest with each other, building trust with each other. And I think one said that when, when trust goes, it's really hard to regain that trust. And so I just encourage all of us to not have secrets, to be honest with our spouse, and to, to trust, learn to trust each other. The second was forgiveness. And as I meditated on some of these, I would find my mind saying, well, that's probably the most important one. And yet then there's another one that's just equally important, or maybe more so. But forgiveness, we can't underestimate forgiveness in a marriage. And as Ephesians 
5 typifies Christ and the church and marriage, kind of all one. Really, as Christ did, so do you in your marriage. That's really what Ephesians 5 is saying. As Christ forgave, and forgiveness is not mentioned exactly in that word here, but as Christ forgave, so do you in your marriage. Imagine with me, and most of you here are believers that have been to the cross for your initial salvation. Imagine with me, for me it's been 40 years ago by the way, praise the Lord, that I went to the cross, I laid down my sins, and picture with me you kneeling at the foot of the cross, weeping over your past, giving all of your past sins to the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, and his blood as he hangs on the cross is dripping down over you and actually taking your dirty, filthy past and washing you and cleaning you and, and forgiving you of all of your past and you get up in the power of the resurrection and you live a new life in him and your past is totally forgiven. Praise God. What if the forgiveness of Christ stopped right there? I mean, that's powerful stuff. But now, me in my life, 40 years later, what if the only forgiveness that I could receive is from 40 years ago, and I realize that it's the same blood, the same Christ, and the same cross, but I depend on the forgiveness of Jesus Christ every day of my life from, then, from back then until now. And I thank the Lord that it's still powerful enough to forgive. And I say, as it is with Christ and his church, so it is in our marriages. Two of you came to the altar. Maybe you had shared your past. You forgave each other your past you accepted each other just as you are, and you loved every bit of it. You were infatuated with each other, and you held nothing against each other, and you were married. And then comes real life. What if the only forgiveness that you extended to each other was at that altar initially, at your wedding day? As it is with Christ. So it is in our marriages. We must forgive each other every day of our life. The third thing that was mentioned was hard times. And maybe you say, well, how do you spiritualize that with Christ in the church? Well, we all know there's no one that went through any harder times than Jesus Christ. I think of the garden especially. I think of the, the whipping, the beating, the bones, the leather, the whips. I think of the cross and the crown of thorns. Jesus suffered hard times, not to mention the mocking. Hard times make us stronger. It can make us better, or it can make us bitter and drive us apart. One of these couples at our place that evening said that, she believed 
that hard times help to mold and shape their marriage for better. The other, another point I've got at number four is togetherness. And I appreciated this thought. This brother said, I don't know if it's the most important, but to me, it's valuable, togetherness. He said, I just love my wife. And I love being with her. And that's really about all I have to say. He said, I, I even go to the grocery store with my wife, and I know me, most men don't. But he said, I, normally I don't really like the grocery store, but when I go to the grocery with my wife, it's fun. And he had no qualms admitting it. And I, I just thought it was, it, it blessed me to hear him say that togetherness is one of the keys of marriage. Because again, I believe that God can touch the mundane things of our marriages and miraculously make them into beautiful and wonderful wedding wine. I believe that he can take the mundane place of a grocery store and make it a glory world. Let's look for the miracles in our marriages. The fifth thing that was mentioned is prayer. And we all know the phrase, a family that prays together stays together. And I hope that that's not just a plaque on your hallway wall. I hope that that is, is practiced in your marriage and in your family. A family that prays together stays together. Prayer is a powerful thing. And it's not just a cliche, a, a once in a while thing. And again, as we bring in the, the miracle of Jesus into this thing of prayer, you know, when, when Lisa tells me that she's praying for me because of something, and this week that happened, it tells me something. It tells me that, well, obviously I'm in this situation, sometimes deeper than I want to be. It also tells me that now she is in that situation, and she, through prayer, is bringing God into that situation. And that, that encourages me that probably I'm going to get through this. If God is in it, then miracles can take place in spite of me. If she's in it and I'm in it and God's in it, the Bible says that a threefold a three cord cannot easily be broken. There's strength in telling your spouse. There's strength, first of all, in praying for your spouse. And I think there's strength in telling them that you're doing it. Prayer. The sixth thing that was mentioned that evening is communication. And this is one that I thought maybe should be at the top of the list, and, but it came out later that evening around the fire. Communication. Communication, we all know, is not just speaking. Maybe more importantly, it's listening. It involves body language. It involves tone of voice. 
and at times it involves our words, what we say. The Bible says that it's what's in our heart comes out through what I would call communication, through speaking, through body language, through tone of voice. Emerson Egridge says in the Love and Respect series that we want to really examine how we speak to our spouse. And, he, and I like this. He says, imagine with me that Jesus is standing right beside of your spouse with his arm around him or her as you're speaking to them. Now, how would this change what we say and how we say it? And then he says, forget imagination. Jesus really is standing beside of your spouse with his arm around him or her, hearing everything you say and how you say it. How is our communication with our spouse in our marriages and even in our families? Communication is so important. We know that Jesus communicated in different ways. Sometimes he spoke long sermons, like on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Several chapters is recorded in our scriptures. Other times he spoke very few words, and one time comes to my mind where he said absolutely nothing. And he bowed down and he wrote in the sand. And I think his point was made very clear. It isn't so much what we say to our wives, it's how we say it. My wife needs to hear me say, I love you. But more than that, she needs to know it. She needs to feel it. It's not in just what we say, but it's how we say it, how we communicate, our body language, and sometimes our tone of voice. I have shut Lisa down so many times, not because of the words I said, but how I said it. Let's learn to communicate effectively, just like Christ did with his church. He definitely got the message across as he went to the cross and gave up his life. And he only said, what is there, seven cries from the cross or something, five cries? I, um, he said very few words from the cross, but how he said it was the most effective to the church. And the gospel message came across to us in a very vivid way. Miracles can take place in our communication. The seventh thing that was mentioned that evening was the word care. A young man said, I believe we need to genuinely care for our spouses. And he admitted that he doesn't always do that. And I admit I don't always do that. As husbands and fathers especially, we need to care for our gentle wives and our families. There's several ways we are called to care for them. We care for them physically. We protect them and so forth. We care for them financially, food to eat, 
houses to live in, clothes to wear, plenty of shoes to wear. We protect them. We financially provide for them. We care for them emotionally. And this is probably a big one for us husbands because we don't always understand this piece and I'm not very qualified to even speak about it. But we should care for their emotions. Many of our world's troublemakers are troublemakers because someone wounded their emotions. Oftentimes their dads or their uncles. Many times it's men, but sometimes even their moms or the women in their life has crushed their emotions and it leads to a troubled life. Many marriages fail because we don't care for our spouses, but rather we abuse them, possibly abuse their bodies, but we abuse their spirits and their emotions. Christ came and cared for our hearts. I think it's in Peter where it says to cast your care upon him for he cares for you. Jesus really did care for you. And this is the gospel message to every one of us here today. Jesus loves you regardless of your past. You may be here in a broken marriage. You may be here um, older and not married or even uh, any future in your mind of being married. The gospel message goes beyond marriage. The gospel message says Jesus loves you and he cares for you. And somehow I know Jesus loves me, but when I hear that word care, it just feels like he wraps his arms around me. And he really does. He, he cares for every one of us, regardless of who we are or where we came from. And just as it is with Christ and his church, so it should be in our marriages. Let's care for our spouses. We care for them spiritually. God provided for us in every one of these areas through Jesus Christ but he specifically cared for us spiritually and he saved our souls. It's time that we good old American fathers have more passion for the souls of our families than we do for boats and baseballs, golfs, grilling and guns, trucks, toys and tractors. It's okay to have fun in life, but it would be better if we would apply our passion towards the souls of our loved ones. There's nothing really more important than where my children, my grandchildren, my spouse is going to spend eternity. Now, I can't save them, I can't save their soul, but I can direct them towards their Savior. Care for our loved ones physically, emotionally, financially, and spiritually.
These are all pretty profound things that came out of that evening's discussion. As I sat and listened, And as we apply each one of them into our marriages, I, again, I want to emphasize that it only takes place with the touch of Jesus. It only takes place as a miracle. We can try as hard as we want, and unless Jesus touches it, it's still water. But Jesus can miraculously turn it into wonderful wedding wine. There's a few, some of these things are mentioned specifically here in Ephesians 5, verse 19. It's talking about communication, speaking to yourselves, and psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart. Verse 20 speaks about prayer, giving thanks. Dad mentioned that in opening. Verse 21, 22, 23 mentions submission. And that could be another one that we could add to this list of keys. I know it's not popular today, um, but I don't really hesitate to speak about it because I believe it's really a key to our marriages. And oftentimes we hear this presented as it's the wife's duty to submit, and it is. And it's the husband's duty to love, and it is. This says here in verse 22, I'm sorry, in... Uh, Verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Oh, now the husbands need to submit and the wives need to love. Submitting yourselves together in the fear of God. It's talking about... I think in Ephesians chapter 2, isn't it? Esteeming the other better than yourself. It's talking about blending your ideas and your passions and your opinions together. Submitting to each other in the fear of the Lord. And so I'm suggesting based on the whole context of this chapter that the wives would submit and respect and love and the husbands would submit and love just like Christ did with his church and the church did with Christ. If the church did not submit to Christ, where would we be? And we see that today, actually, in some areas. This chapter is calling us just like Christ's relationship with his church so it is in our marriages. And it's a gospel message. And the world needs to hear it. And the world needs to, more importantly, see it through our marriages and through our families. I might have mentioned in one of the earlier messages on this series of the Christian home two primary purposes of why God ordained uh, marriage and implemented marriage and the Christian home. One of them, the Bible bears out, is to reproduce and to promulgate the human race all through the ages. The other is to promulgate his spiritual seed all through the ages. We find that the, the, the real missionaries came out of family 
came out of, of the family unit, and I believe the purpose of the family today is that, that the world would hear and see the gospel, not only through our daily lives, but even through our teaching. And, he, and they only see it as we submit to each other and we love like Christ did. This is speaking about a sacrificial agape love. That's not a surface, um, I'll love when I want to love type of love. It's a laying down my life for you type of love. It's sacrificial love, agape love. Just like Christ did for his church, so do you in your marriage. And when we do, the world sees a different picture. Those of you, and I know many of you, some of you I don't, but your marriage is not like most marriages in the world today. And I believe it's because the hand of Jesus has touched your marriage. I believe that Jesus is working a miracle in your marriage. And that's why it's different. It's much different. And that's why your marriage glows with the glory of God. Sacrificial love. I want you to picture a box. Not that I'm trying to put marriage in a box, but I am right here for a minute. Some young couples look at marriage as they come into marriage as this pretty wrapped gift box that has everything in that box that I need. And I can go to that box and I can pull out anything I need when I want it. I can pull out support. When I need support, my spouse should be there to give me support. I can, I can pull out any sexual passions when I want it, it's there, should be. I can pull out all these different things that I think marriage should offer. And I can go there and I can take it out. But really, to me, marriage is really just the opposite. It might be a box, but to me it's really an empty box. And listen what I'm saying. It should be a box that we're giving into. So if I'm giving into this box, things like support and, and all these things that, that I want to receive, if I'm putting into it and my wife is putting into it, then it's there for both of us. And marriage, really, the type of love that Jesus gave was giving, not taking. The gift box, it, it is, it blesses us. But it's in our giving. It blesses us in our giving towards our marriage and our spouse, not our taking. Happiness. All these things. Fulfillment. All the answers to life's problems is in that box. And I should be able to take it out when I want it. But that's not really the way marriage works. It is fulfilling. It is supporting, but only in our giving. And when we do, again, it's a testimony that goes out. 
It is a beautiful picture of what Christ did with his church. And it speaks of that close, intimate relationship with Christ and his people. Again, things like trust, forgiveness, hard times, togetherness, prayer, communication, caring, loving, respecting, submission, sacrifice, esteeming the other better than themselves, giving rather than taking. Remember these things. As I said, they didn't really come from me. But I offer them to you to strengthen your marriage. And as I said on the onset, as you go forth in your marriage, remember the initial miracle that took place at the altar. As God brought you two together into one flesh. That's a miracle. But also look for the miracle in your day-to-day mundane things of marriage. We can get into the habit, walking in the door, throwing down the water jug, hello honey, and go on off to whatever we're going to do. Look for, the, look for in the mundane things, look for the miracle, look for the wine, the best wine, and God will bless your marriage in a miraculous way. May God bless you. Let's have a song.